Known as the sage from South Central, Larry Eldred, he's unafraid to take on liberals and the Black Lives Matter movement and with common sense. He's also known as America's truth detector. He's a brilliant thinker and communicator, and he reminds me of the brilliant Rush Limbaugh. He's a New York Times bestselling author of four books, including his latest, A Lot Like Me, A Father and Son's Journey to Reconciliation. His national TV show, Moral Court, was syndicated across the country and was at one time top rated in New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago. He won a Los Angeles Emmy for Best News Special in 1999. And in 2015, he was awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I met Larry at one of our recent summits at Liberty Hawk Ranch. As accomplished as he is, he's also a genuine, compassionate, good man. Welcome, Larry Elder. How am I supposed to live up to that, Kevin? <laughs> well, it's so good to have you in the Economic War Room. I've been on your show a couple of times, and I appreciate that. That's an honor. Uh, and it's a rare thing for me to have you here in Economic War Room, not, you know, I've been on your show, and, and in those cases, Larry, I gotta tell you, sometimes you feel like the host knows more about things than the guest. And so you ask me these great, brilliant questions, I'm sitting there thinking, and you got the right answer. Larry, tell me what the right answer is. All right, I have an off-the-wall question for you. As a Californian, do you know Clint Eastwood? You know, I have met Clint Eastwood, and I once uh, took a picture with him. Uh, I was uh, standing next to my uh, little jacuzzi I have in my house, uh, and I was trying to fish out some leaves that were there. And I'm fishing it out. I had a roll of one. My phone was in my pocket, and I fell into the jacuzzi. And it ruined the, the phone, ruined all the photographs I had in there, so I no longer have the photograph I have with Mr. Eastwood. But, yes, I have met him. Great guy, down to earth, uh, really easy to talk to. Well, the reason I bring it up, and I, I got to meet him a few times when I lived in Carmel, but the reason I bring it up is our show is built on the premise of doing three segments, the, the bad, the good, and the beautiful. Now, Clint Eastwood is good, bad, ugly, and I hate ending with ugly, so we do bad, good, beautiful. Um, so when we do that, I want to start this first segment and talk to you about the bad. There are a lot of troubles that we see today, the, the economy, the, the nation, relationships, and all that. Let's make this a game. You bring up a problem that you see in America, and we'll talk and see if there's an economic component to it. And then in the second segment, we'll come up with the solutions that you've got for us, and then we'll talk about the beautiful. So name some problems, and we'll see if we can make them economic issues. Okay, I think the, the number one social problem in America is a large number of children who enter the world without a father in the home married to the mother. In 1965, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, a Democrat, later on became a senator from New York, wrote a booklet called The Negro Family, A Case for National Action. At the time, 25% of blacks were uh, entering the world without a father in the home married to the mother, uh, a fact that Moynihan attributed to slavery and to Jim Crow. We can debate that, but that's what he thought. Right, right. Fast forward, Kevin, 70% of black kids now enter the world today without a father in the home married to the mother. 50% of Hispanic kids do, 25% of white kids do, 40% of all kids in America. And Obama said, forget elder, Obama said a kid raised without a father is five times more likely to be poor and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to, to end up in jail. I argue what's happened is because of our welfare state, this is where the economic component comes in, we have incentivized women to marry the government and have incentivized men to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. 
Oh, wow. All right, so you've given us a genuine bad. It's our culture collapsing, especially in minority communities, but really across the board. And then you said, here's the economic aspect. I've got a friend who said, he remembers growing up and when things changed with uh, Lyndon Johnson, he says, one, one time my mom wouldn't let me play with the neighbor kids because they got no daddy in the home. But then a few years later, we were shipping my dad off when the welfare people came by to pretend like there was no daddy in the home because we'd get more money. Is, is that what happened? That's exactly what happened. Uh, and even a left-wing magazine called The Atlantic just a few months ago had a big article about all the decisions that uh, a young couple makes uh, when they bring a child into the world, from uh, the determining uh, the name to determining what school. But no decision is more important than the neighborhood uh, and whether or not that neighbor has that neighborhood has plenty of two-parent households. Mm. More two-parent households, the better. When you're in a neighborhood where there are a whole bunch of single-parent households, uh, all sorts of bad things flow from that. So, perfect example. And and, and uh, when Lyndon Johnson launched his war on poverty, Kevin, he literally sent social workers knocking on doors, door to door, to apprise women of the availability of welfare, provided there was no man in the house. So within a matter of a few years. The percentage of blacks who were on welfare exploded just in that little little bit of time. And since then, we spent over $22 trillion on social welfare. If you look at a, a trend line and look at the proliferation of kids being brought into the world, those lines parallel each other. So, again, there's a, there's a financial incentive. And it's also happening in, in England as well. So it's not just racial. Uh, you, you give somebody, uh, you incentivize a bad slovenly behavior, you're going to get more bad slovenly behavior. Okay, perfect example of bad with an economic component. G give me a second one. Second one is our abysmal uh, education system in America, public government schools. Even though we spend more money K-12 than any other industrialized country, I think, except for Switzerland and Luxembourg. Uh, the nation's report card, NELP, shows that almost half of all kids uh, in our schools are neither math nor reading proficient. 85% of black kids, these are... 13-year-olds, uh, eighth graders, are neither math nor reading proficient. Eighty-five percent, half of them don't even hit basic math, uh, basic reading. So you have a large number of 13-year-old black kids who are functionally illiterate. Take Baltimore. Thirteen public high schools, Kevin, in Baltimore. Thirteen, where zero percent of the kids are math proficient. And another half a dozen, where only one percent are. That's half of all the public high schools in Baltimore. And they're all in the inner city. Only one in 20 students uh, in the government schools in Chicago are math proficient. One in 20. It, it, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. We're out, being outperformed by our European and Asian counterparts. It's an absolute disaster. Yet the Democrats went at the hip to the teachers union do not want school choice, which is, the, uh, which is the, the, what we ought to be talking about. The money should follow the child rather than the other way around. Let the parents control what, kid the, what school the kid goes to. So that's a second one, perfect example. Our society's crumbling because of an economic decision that's a failure, and, and that is to consolidate with unions and all that. Well, Larry, we're gonna have to take a break, but when we come back, let's talk about a couple more, and then we'll go into economic solutions and how we can fix these. We're talking with Larry Elder, and we're talking about the bad, the problems that we're facing in society. He's in California, so he sees them first. They're, the, if they're not here yet, they're coming here. Uh, you've listed, Larry, for us two uh, um, big problems that we're facing. Uh, one of them is breakdown of society in two-parent families, and the second one was the education system. Do you have a third one, a third problem? that I, I do. Uh, illegal immigration. 
Uh, since the Biden administration has been in office, we now have five million illegal aliens in this country. We have no idea uh, who they are, where they are, and some number of them we've caught have been on our terror watch list. Lord knows how many have escaped who are on the terror watch list. There's a huge economic drain uh, of illegal immigration. California has probably 10% or so of the nation's uh, illegal, uh, illegal population, at least 10%, maybe even 20%. And a left-wing columnist named George Skelton some years ago estimated that the cost to California alone, mostly educational benefits uh, and, and health care benefits, because uh, you cannot, because the Supreme Court asked about somebody's immigration status when they enroll in school, but uh, they wouldn't be enrolling in school if the parents weren't here legally. So he added that to the cost of an illegal alien. Uh, $25 billion a year in California alone. And that was some years ago. I would imagine the number is much higher than that. And the people who are most hurt by illegal immigration are people living in the inner city, those with high school or less, because almost all the illegal aliens have high school or less. Or less. And they compete against Americans with that same educational level for jobs. And they also put downward pressure on their wages. One of my friends is on the Civil Rights Commission. His name is Peter Kersenow. And he says that a million more uh, black men would have jobs but for illegal immigration. And the presence of illegal, of illegal labor puts about $1,800 downward pressure on their wages, costing uh, the country and the black economy uh, almost $100 billion uh, every single year. So it's a huge, huge cost. And of course, the burden on hospitals uh, the burden on schools, uh, particularly in border states, uh, can't be overstated. So it's a massive, massive, massive problem that I believe the Democrats have made worse on purpose because they believe at some point uh, Republicans will say, okay, if you do reverse the anti-Trump policies that you hated and put the uh, cash release policy back in place and put Remain in Mexico back in place, we'll give you mass amnesty for a whole bunch of illegal aliens. That's what I believe the Democrats will are doing to force Republicans to come to the table uh, and do a deal they otherwise would not do. Well, and you're right. Of course, when you do that, uh, Kevin, uh, as Reagan did in, in 86, uh, he thought there was going to be 1.5 million people to get amnesty. It ended up being over 3 million. And the deal was, okay, we'll do this amnesty, but please secure the border and punish employers who knowingly hire illegal aliens going forward. Well, the latter was not done, but we did get the three million illegal aliens uh, who got legal status. Yeah, and, and not only that, so there's two economic causes of that. One is we're paying a bunch of groups to bring people in. We're giving them, you know, we think of them as charities, but they're all they're really doing is human trafficking. And the second economic component is the big businesses that are profiting from the illegal labor and they're able to keep wages down. So there's huge economic component. All right, one more short one if you've got it. I, I would, uh, it's, it's a tie between crime and, and, the, uh, and the debt. Uh, you know, the, in, in 1900, at all three levels, Kevin, you know this, government took less than 9% from the American people, around 9%. <clears throat> Today, it takes about 32%. And when you add a cost of mandates, government takes at all three levels, federal, state, local, almost half what the American people produce. That is why we have this anemic growth rate, 2%, 3%. Uh, you, we brag now and it's 3%. We used to have 5 or 6% growth uh, before the income tax and before government got as, as large as it is. But the other one co-equal to this is crime. We're having crime in all of our major cities, but that's also a function of not having a father in the home. Uh, crime is up here in L.A., violent crime up in L.A., violent crime up in Chicago, it's up in New York. Part of it is because of the uh, lack, lack of fathers in the home. Part of it is the attack on the police calling them systemically racist, they're pulling back, it's called the George Floyd effect, 
or the Ferguson effect. Bad guys know it. Crime goes up, and the very people who are hurt the most are the very black and brown people that people like Black Lives Matter purport to care about. Yeah, no, you've, you've listed five now, and they're real problems, and they have real economic a- aspects to them. So let's talk solutions. How do we fix these? Name, name some of the programs or ideas that you have to solve these problems. Well, regarding the borders, it's pretty easy, and that's uh, uh, re-elect Donald Trump and, and put, the, put the Trump policies back in place. We had the most secure border uh, in our history because of what Donald Trump had done. And Joe Biden uh, and the Democrats convinced themselves that, that Donald Trump was a racist, so they reversed his policies, not thinking them through, and now we have this problem. So it can be solved. I, I believe that we ought to build a wall as well. But what you wait? But w- one thing you just said, it, which is really important, it is the opposite of being racist. If you care about the people here who are Americans, regardless of their racial background, they're being hurt by these policies. So actually, the open border policy is really the most racist. Absolutely, it is. Uh, regarding education, we need school choice. As I said earlier, the money should follow the child rather than the other way around. Where school choice, true school choice, has been uh, has been used. Uh, the graduation rates are better. Reading scores a little bit better. Math scores are better. Uh, the, there's more safety on the campus, and parental satisfaction uh, is much better. So uh, we need to make sure that the money follows the child rather than the other way around. We're spending plenty of money uh, here in California. Almost half of the budget. Uh, goes for education. So every time the budget grows up, goes up, there's more money being spent on education, uh, and still they claim they want more money. The archdiocese here in in, uh, in L.A. is educating kids at a fraction of the cost that the government schools are, largely because they have fewer bureaucrats. It's just it's, in LAUSD, L.A. USD, Los Angeles Unified School District, there's about one bureaucrat for every one teacher. With the arch archdiocese, is about one teacher. Pardon one, seven teachers for every one bureaucrat. So that's where the money is going. It's being misspent. And again, uh, the competition will also improve public schools. So even those who remain in the government schools will have a better education uh, when there's competition. Yeah, could you repeat that one for one thing? That's an important point to get. Uh, archdiocese uh, here in LA, there's seven teachers for every one bureaucrat. Uh, the Los Angeles Unified School District, there's one teacher for every one bureaucrat. That's one, one of the reasons the money is being misspent. No, no question about it. All right, so you've knocked down a couple. Keep going. One other, one other point, Kevin. Yeah. Um, the proof is in the pudding. Fordham Institute, which is a think tank some years ago, did a study on where government school teachers, the school-age kids, sent their own kids. Nationwide, around 10% of us have our kids in private school. 6% of, of black parents do. 49% of Philadelphia public school teachers with school-age kids put their own kids in private schools. 39% Chicago. The people who know the school system the most, the best, the teachers, aren't putting their own kids in it. What does that tell you? Yeah, now that is proof right there of blatant liberal hypocrisy. They don't want us to have the privileges that they want for themselves. I've often said it's the equivalent of opening up a restaurant, Kevin, putting up, putting up a big sign saying, come on in, eat the food. We won't. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't get many customers if you did that. All right, well, time, time for very quick, one more answer. And then we'll, third segment, we'll carry this over. Well, regarding, uh, regarding crime, we've gotta, we have to uh, uh, stop this nonsense that the police are systemically racist. Uh, it's called the Ferguson effect or the George Floyd effect. They pull back uh, and crime goes up. If you lower the chances of a bad guy being caught, being convicted, being incarcerated, surprise, surprise, crime goes up. They may be criminals, but they're not stupid. No, not stupid. We'll be back right after a break and we'll get to more solutions. 
We're talking with Larry Elder, and he's outlining some big problems, the bad. He's outlined some of the good solutions, and he's got a few more. And then I want to get your vision. Uh, so, Larry, what, what are some other solutions that we should put in place now? Well, uh, we need to do something about the runaway spending here. Uh, both sides do it. Democrats do it. Republicans do it. I remember when Ronald Reagan ran in 1980, Kevin, he promised to shut down the Department of Education. When he left, the Department of Education was bigger than before. You know, once a government program has started, it's almost impossible to kill it. Reagan used to say, if it moves, tax, tax it. If it keeps moving, regulate it. If it stops moving, subsidize it. And that's what we're doing. We need to tie the hands of Congress, and I urge that there be an amendment to our Constitution that limits spending to a certain percentage of our GDP, with exceptions for war and for natural disaster. That's the only way we're going to get spending under control. Uh, both Bill Clinton and Barack Obama have said, and they've used the word unsustainable in talking about Medicare, Social Security, and uh, Medicaid. Uh, our population is getting older, uh, they're living longer. Uh, and those programs are not sustainable. We need to do something to reform them. But when you do that, you're touching the third rail of politics. And anytime you do that, uh, the other side will then accuse you of trying to end Social Security. You scare a bunch of senior voters and they vote. And so nothing gets done. The can gets kicked down the road. But at some point, we need to deal with that. Yeah. What I love about that, Larry, is the idea that if politicians love to spend money, okay, then make it possible for the economy to grow. The more we grow, the more money you can spend. That puts them on the same side of the table as the rest of us. We need growth before we can spend. Got to get a raise, right? That's right. Government has no money. They can tax it, uh, they can borrow it, or they can print it. That's the only way they get it. And each one of them has a negative consequence. Well, if we can get them to growing the economy, and that's the only way they get an extra dollar to spend, that will cause a lot of economic growth, in my opinion. Okay, any other solutions? Well, um, I think we need to encourage people to, uh, to uh, there, there are think tanks on the left, like the Brookings Institution, and then on the right, like the American Enterprise Institute. Right, right. Uh, and they may disagree about policy and about this and about that, but they agree on what it takes to escape poverty. Number one, finish high school. Number two, don't have a kid before you're 20 years old. Number three, get married before you have that kid. And number four, get a job, keep that job, don't quit that job till you get another job. And number five, Avoid the criminal justice system. You do those things, you will not be poor. You don't do those things, there's a very good chance you will be. So we need to just get back to those kinds of values. Well, you know what you said there is important because what you said earlier, we spent $22 trillion in the war on poverty and we have a $32 trillion debt, which means two thirds of our debt is directly related to a bad approach to poverty. You just outlined a good approach to poverty that any two-parent home would want for their kids. Don't get, don't have a kid until you're married. You know, get finish high school, get a job. Those are things that parents want for their children. So we gotta we gotta fix the family. Absolutely. All right. So now you've got some time. Tell us the Larry Elder vision for America. What should America be like? What can it be like? Well Kevin, I'm gonna break some news on your show. Uh, Larry Elder is thinking about running for president. Uh, and if I decide to, I'm going to make my decision by the end of this month. I have a political action committee called elderforamerica.com, and I'm urging people to throw a little something in the tip jar. Um, what I want to do is talk about the obvious things that you and I have been talking about, about the need to secure the borders, about the need to do something about crime by, by, by no longer bad-mouthing the police and causing them to have the lowest morale that I've ever seen. We need to do something about our education. We need to do something about our spending. But I think I bring to the table a couple of things that maybe some of the other candidates don't. Number one, 
I think I can refute the narrative that America is systemically racist better than others can because of the experience of my father. My father never knew his father, so it's not a death sentence. Uh, my father uh, ended up cleaning toilets when I was a kid. He started a little cafe and ran that until he was in his 80s. And he ended up owning the property where the cafe was, a little bit of property adjacent to it, plus the home we still have in our in our family. My dad, when he retired, was a little under a millionaire. Uh, and uh, he was thrown out of the house when he was 13 years old by his irresponsible mother. And still my father was able to be a very, very successful man. And my dad always told my brothers and me the following, hard work wins. You get out of life what you put into it. Larry, you cannot control the outcome, but you are 100% in control of the effort. Before you complain about what somebody did or said to you, go to the nearest mirror, look at it, and ask yourself, what could I have done to change the outcome? Finally, my dad said this, no matter how hard you work, how good you are, bad things are going to happen. How you deal with those bad things will tell your mother and me if we raised a man. Wow. This is a fantastic country, Kevin. Right now, as we speak, there are Haitians that are lining up. Uh, for a chance at a lottery to get here in, to, to America. Uh, the One of the most successful groups in America are Niger Nigerian-Americans who have a higher uh, net worth and per capita income uh, than white Americans. Don't give me this nonsense about America being systemically racist. Barack Obama got a higher percentage of the white vote than did John Kerry four years earlier. Uh, this is a fantastic country. Uh, the people that need to embrace our values often are the ones who were born and raised here. I have to remind, be reminded of how great it is by the immigrant population who come here appreciating American values, patriotism, liberty, hard work, accountability, and, and the, the, in my opinion, the Judeo-Christian work ethic that we have in this country that made America great. I've done two documentaries, one called Uncle Tom, one called Uncle Tom II. In Uncle Tom, I talk about how black people after slavery kept moving forward, even though there was KKK, even though there was Jim Crow. Why? Because it was rare for a black kid to be born uh, without a mother and a father in a home. There was an embrace of Judeo-Christian values. There was an appreciation of entrepreneurship and an embrace of American patriotic values, even as America was not living up to those values. Now those are all under assault by organizations like Black Lives Matter. On their website, Kevin, they attack the nuclear family as a Western construct. Uh, they're, they're, the founders are trained Marxists. And Marx, as you know, was an atheist who did not believe in capitalism, did not believe in entrepreneurship, and they don't, and they're not patriotic. So all those things are under attack by organizations like that. And we need to stand up to them and tell young people that there is a future. All they have to do is work for it. All they have to do is believe in themselves and believe in this country. Uh, and you can make it in America. You can't make it in America. You can't make it anywhere. No, and I think you're right. I, I don't think any nation on in the history of the world or currently on planet Earth has given as much opportunity to all people. Yeah, sure, we've had our problems. Sure, we've made mistakes. Sure, we've had to course correct multiple times. But the Constitution, as it's written, I, I would add your amendment, but as it's written, is the best document for governing people that I think ever has been written. And I want to add that Larry Elder amendment to it, because I love your vision for America. The Larry Elder vision for America, I think that, that could be a title for a book, and that'd be a book I'd buy and read cover to cover. Frederick Douglass said, it is easier to build strong children than to fix broken men. We need to fix the family. Oh, you're, you're right on. You're brilliant. All right. Well, thank you so much, Larry. We really appreciate having you here. We hope to have you back many, many more times. I appreciate it. You know, it, it's an amazing thing to have uh, men like Larry Elder come into the economic war room, but they see the problems, and there's an economic component to almost all of them. We try to make it about the money, 
so we can get liberty, security, and values. We don't want ESG. We, we don't want woke nonsense. So we're training financial advisors at Liberty University so people can weaponize their money. We're giving people alternatives to central bank digital currency and all of that. Larry came to visit us at Liberty Hawk Ranch. I, I hope he'll come back even more. You can read his writings at LarryElder.com. I'm going to summarize all this in a free economic battle plan. You'll find it at EconomicWarRoom.com. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.